We like to feature all points of view on the show as we're continually learning and open to others' opinions. Well, it's been a long time since we've enjoyed the opinion of Jimmy Song on this podcast. A Bitcoin maximalist's maximalist, Jimmy has some very strong opinions about altcoins, ICOs, DeFi, and NFTs. Today, he unloads and we get into some interesting banter. Now, it's not like he walked into the Ethereum room, dropped his drawers, and left a surprise for fans of Vitalik, but it kind of is like that, and we're here for it. We're glad you're here as well, as we welcome you to episode number 493 of the Bad Crypto Podcast. It's the Jimmy Show. Jimmy! 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 James! Sir James! We need to sing a song, a Jimmy song. Jimmy, Jimmy, Jimmy! Jimmy, 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 Jimmy! Jimmy, Jimmy, Bobinny, Banana Fanna, Fulfill Me, Me, Mamma, Mimmy. Jimmy, I got a song from Jimmy. Welcome to the Bad Crypto Podcast, the show for the crypto curious, the crypto serious, and the crypto Jimmy. Yes, I'm Joel Com. That's Travis Wright. And as you may have inferred, or as we inferred, we didn't infer, I just said it out right, Jimmy Song's with us today. Uh, that's, that is true. I'm Jimmy Wright, and I'm, I'm with my host, Jimmy Com. Jimmy Joel. <laughs> Jimmy Joel. <laughs> if there can be a Jimmy John, there could be a Jimmy Joel. A Jimmy Joel. And then our friend who loves Jimmy Fat, this, this, this show not sponsored by Fat Jimmy Amps. No, this show is sponsored by Jimmy Animoca Brands, the global leader in branded blockchain gaming, F1 Delta Time is one of their key products and they create a new paradigm for digital ownership and gaming. Through the blockchain, you can get official Formula One non-fungible collectible tokens, which will allow you to participate in play to earn gaming. Skills are rewarded with real value rewards. All of the core gameplay assets in F1 Delta Time can be owned, traded, sold by players and used to play the game itself. This is the future gang. It is F1 one delta time.com created by animoca brands just one awesome product in their stable of awesomeness that was that was nice jimmy great stuff talking about animoca big fan of them and uh you may or may not know this but they actually acquired quid q u i d d and uh i would assume there might be some blockchainification of that happening one of these days also blockchainification with kava k a VA, they are a new sponsor of the show. And in fact, I will be working with them closely and working with some other uh, influencers with Kava. They are the most trusted DeFi platform by financial institutions. Check this out. They have a fully integrated uh, suite of financial products for crypto. In fact, Binance and Huobi both use Kava for their one-click DeFi uh, on their platforms, which is really cool. So Kava brings together everything that is required to do frictionless DeFi. And uh, many companies, as I mentioned, have already integrated it, including Binance and Huobi, and some other big ones are popping it out. Check it out, kava.io. Keep an eye out on them. Fantastic. All right. It's going to be controversial. It's going to be fun. It's going to be educational. And no, we're not talking. And about it's going to be about an hour long, I think. Isn't I was going to say we're not talking about the show, but actually we are. So oh. let's jump into our interview with Jimmy Song. Jimmy! Jimmy! I'm not sure why it is, Travis, but sometimes you have a song going through your head. And the song going through my head as I was getting ready for this interview was Macho Man by uh, uh, the, the Village People. <laughs> but I'm changing the lyrics because we just got off a call and I said, we need to go interview Jimmy song. So I'm thinking, Jimmy, Jimmy song. I get to talk to Jimmy song. This is the crazy <laughs> stuff that goes through my head. And he's here with us for a reprise interview on Bad Crypto. I did some research on this. And Travis, he had appeared on the show uh, July of 2018. So it's been three years and i'm hoping he's got some new songs to sing jimmy welcome back to the show oh thank you for having me i don't have any new songs to sing but i do have new books to show so let's uh, let's talk about that that's perfect and and uh, how many cowboy hats do you have in your collection 
I have about six or seven. Um, I, I am known to wear the white one where I am giving talks where I'm trying to inspire people and wear the black one when I am shitting on something. So, you know, that's that tends to happen if I'm um, debating all coiners or various people. And you are I, wearing the white hat today, so we appreciate it. I am. That. I am. We, this we, is this actually a hybrid. This is this probably the most expensive one I own. And it's uh it's from Texas Hatters and it's made out of beaver pelt, and but it's uh it's called a half breed because the top is made out of straw, while the bottom, the brim and everything else is made out of beaver pelt, making it very rain resistant and so on. Nice. So you're here to inspire and maybe kick a little ass. Depending on which way you guys go, yes. Yeah, it's like it's kind of got a gray <laughs> bottom and the white top. So it's like I'm here to inspire, but I'm not afraid to talk shit. There you go. Jimmy just found out here. Um, it's been months since Blockchain Heroes came out in August of 2020. And he just discovered that he uh, he inspired a hero card called Maximum, uh, mostly because you are truly a Bitcoin maximalist. What does that mean for people that don't understand that term? Yeah, a lot of people seem to think that it means something like, hey, I, I cheer for the Bitcoin team instead of uh, the, the Ethereum team or something like that. Um, they liken it something to, you know, I, hey, I like the Niners and you like the Packers, something like that. But it's it's not like that at all. What, what it means to be a Bitcoin maximalist is it's not necessarily prescriptive, it's descriptive. It's just how Bitcoin is and... Uh, you know, we're the people that believe that Bitcoin actually has uh, a use case, which is it's sound money and all the other coins are just sort of playing around with stuff that hasn't proven itself, really. So that that's our position. That That, that, that is interesting to me. You know, it's like, I, I mean, people listen to the show, they love Bitcoin, right? We got a lot of people who are big fans of it that collect mm -hmm. maybe only that. But we got some other folks out there that maybe don't just collect Bitcoin. And uh, there's been a whole huge transformation coming on here over the last couple of years, basically, basically the last year around DeFi. So I want to actually I want to ask you what your what your thoughts are around DeFi. And then maybe if you participate in DeFi, like what what is the best Bitcoin DeFi solution that you've seen or are there none or is it all shit? Well, I, I, I think it's ICO 2.0. Um, uh, like if you look at the traditional finance system and all the ways in which um, you know, investment banks and so on move money around and don't really add any value, um, that's what DeFi is essentially doing in the Ethereum ecosystem. It's moving money around. No one actually makes money other than you know, the people that create these systems and, uh, you know, they, they get to take a little bit of a, a, a percentage of the trade. Obviously, the Ethereum miners do well as a result of that. But it's it's not actually creating value. It's just moving money around. And somehow people think that this is uh, doing something. Really, it's a zero sum game in my mind. And I'm not interested in it. There's been tons and tons of exploits. And I've documented a lot of them on my newsletter uh, jimmysong.substack.com, by the way. And, uh, and yeah, it's, uh, it, it's an insecure system and it's really just kind of leverage. Uh, there's nothing really decentralized about it. There's nothing decentralized about a loan. Um, if you want to, you know, get leverage and things like that, you can do it much better on OKX or BitMEX or a lot of other places where you can get way more leverage and, you know, uh, do the things that you might want to do in a faster, more secure way than what you're getting out of DeFi. Now, now you're just getting paid by the CEO of Bitcoin Inc. to say this. <laughs> I mean, oh, wait, there is no Bitcoin Inc. There is no central organization that runs Bitcoin. There's a lot of fear about Bitcoin. You could tell because the, you know, some of the governments of the world, some of the nations, um, are putting the kibosh on people mining Bitcoin, people trading Bitcoin, people owning or using Bitcoin. And of course, while we haven't seen that kind of heavy handed regulation in the Western world, there is fear that, you know, what if what if the U.S. government were to say uh, it's illegal to mine Bitcoin? It's illegal to, to use or to hold Bitcoin, kind of like they did with gold, you know, back when they eliminated the gold standard. Is that possible or is Bitcoin too unstoppable at this point? 
Well, I mean, if we look at what happened in China, um, I think 2017 or so, they basically banned all exchanges and said you need a license, and uh, and a lot of those exchanges went offline. Uh, BTCC, for example, was a big uh, exchange in China, and Bobby Lee basically shut it down because he said, "Okay, well, I can't operate," and he gave the investors the money back, and he's moved on to other projects and so on. Uh, but what happened in China was very interesting because right after the exchanges were banned, a lot of people started using local bitcoins, and local bitcoins is sort of the peer-to-peer -peer trading model, and uh, and the volume on that absolutely skyrocketed after the exchanges were banned because that was the only place people couldn't really go. So they went and traded and so on, and China noticed this and they banned local bitcoins. So what happened next? Well. People started making their own Telegram groups and WeChat groups, and then trading person to person, uh, and you know it, it it sort of worked, right? Like there were the, there's still plenty of volume in China with with uh, those private groups and so on. Uh, so what what uh, government restriction essentially does is it drives demand underground and uh, you know makes price discovery a little bit more difficult and so on. But it still happens. You can try to Bitcoin uh, ban Bitcoin and do whatever, but ultimately um, you know you can't stop it because it's decentralized, right? Like there's there's no one. Uh, I mean they they regulate what they can. Usually those are exchanges or whatever, but. Ultimately, you can't you can't ban people from going, um, or you can, but they're not going to listen to you. This is why black markets uh, pop up wherever there are price controls and so on. So, uh, for me, I, I think that's what would happen if they if they tried it. Um, apparently, mining is banned in Venezuela, for example, but people still mine with the free electricity that they get. Um, it doesn't, uh, you know, it, it's very hard to shut down things on a global. Um, you know, like have one rule for everybody, unless there's like a central point of failure, which Bitcoin clearly doesn't have. Mm. I want to go back to DeFi for a second because Joel quickly switched the subject there, Mr. Lord, Mr. Joel Com. Because uh, so, so one of the things that I think is interesting about about DeFi is that, for example, if I have my Bitcoin and I want to, instead of spending it, I can borrow against it, and then I get a shitcoin that then I have to pay back that shitcoin, right? But then I still keep my Bitcoin. In, mm -hmm. in my vault. And then, so I basically, I pay back my loan and then I get my Bitcoin and if Bitcoin went from $5,000 to $50,000, then I have saved a tremendous amount of buying power with that DeFi solution. And so how, how, how is that, how is that a, a transfer or just a, a zero sum game where I'm transferring wealth from one place to another? Uh, because basically it's like, I'm paying back what I borrowed it's like if I'm using MakerDAO or something, right? It's like, all right, I'm putting my cryptos in, and then I got to pay back these. I got to pay back these Maker tokens. Once I pay back the value of those Maker tokens, and my crypto has gone up, then I can actually unlock what was in my vault. That's what I think is is such an interesting aspect of DeFi is that I don't have to spend my Bitcoin right now. I can I can still you know enjoy the the growth of Bitcoin down the road, but still leverage it like collateral, right? I mean, you can do that with Unchained Capital right now. You can do that with BlockFi. You can do that with a lot of places and you'll probably get better terms for it. Um, the only thing that this does is it, it, it obscures who's actually like in the middle and all of the vulnerabilities that you, uh, you, you have when you're doing something like that. You have like seven or eight different single points of failure, but it's, it, it's not obvious to you what, what those single points of failure are on DeFi, whereas you know, you get a loan, uh, you know, with using Bitcoin as your collateral from Unchained Capital. Well, it's very clear what's going on. And in fact, they don't even rehypothecate your uh, Bitcoin. So it stays there on chain. You know exactly the interest rate you're getting. It's, uh, you know, it's regulated and everything else. So, you know, you're not uh, running afoul of some law or something like that. Um, and you can you can get exactly the same uh, same thing that you just described. It's just not done in a convoluted way with seven different single points of failure, any of which if uh, if it went awry, then you would be screwed out of your Bitcoin. Mm. So um, maybe touch base on some of those points of failure. So people who maybe aren't familiar mm -hmm. with some of that can can be on the lookout. Yeah. So uh, first of all, the smart contract that the DeFi, whatever 
DeFi uh, smart contract that you're in, it's written by somebody and a, a lot of them have back doors. So uh, whoever, whoever wrote that on Uniswap or whatever, um, you know, they, they can go and take it or if, if they're insolvent or something like that, uh, you know, they might end up possessing it. There's also the custodian for all these like wrapped Bitcoins. Um, you, you don't actually have Bitcoin on Ethereum. You have a uh, Bitcoin substitute that somebody else is holding or something like that. Uh, wrapped Bitcoin, for example, I think is held by um, uh, BitGo. So if they go down or they're hacked, then that's another single point of failure. You also have like the entire Ethereum ecosystem. If they decide that DeFi is taking up too much of the you know blockchain uh, you know space on Ethereum, they could, uh, in theory, just kick you out and say, "Okay, we're not going to allow these contracts to execute anything anymore as a as a hard fork of our uh, uh, of our system." And you know, Vitalik could decide that. Uh, you know, the Ethereum Foundation could decide that, or whatever. Um, there's uh, there's also the you know Infura, which is the you know. Uh, the node software that almost everybody runs because it's so hard to create uh, run your own node on Ethereum. If that got corrupted with bad data about the smart contract behind the particular um, thing that you're using, then it, it might very well uh, steal your Bitcoin in some way without anyone really being the wiser because no one really runs their full nodes or audits the entire blockchain on Ethereum. So um, you know, I mean, there, those are just some of the ways. I'm sure there are more, but those are the ones off the top of my head. Uh, like ways in which you can totally get screwed on on uh, on DeFi. Uh, you know that that's really got like many different parties that can ultimately take away your Bitcoin. Whereas you know something like Unchained Capital, it's very clear what the conditions are, and uh, you know like. You, you have some custody risk because Unchained Capital holds one of the keys, but, you know, you hold the other key and there's a there's a, a third party that holds the third key. So they would have to collude and and things like that. It's not uh, you know, it, it's going to be more difficult them for for them to take it away. Whereas on DeFi, you might have just a single party like BitGo get hacked. And then next thing you know, your Bitcoins are gone. Mm. I'm looking on Unchained Capital to see if you're on the board of advisors or something. <laughs> no, no, no. no I, I, I make no, uh, uh, no secret of the fact that they're my friends and uh, I, I, I'm a fan of their service and so on. I, I haven't taken any loans from them or anything, but I know how it works. Um, like BlockFi is a little bit different. You know, they rehypothecate your Bitcoin and that way, you know, or I mean, if you're if you're getting a loan from them, I don't I don't know if that's true. But if you're using them to earn interest or something like that, they rehypothecate it. But yeah, there, there's there's a lot of different services, and we'll see a lot of different models. And it's a uh, it's it's a market competing. I I just wouldn't trust DeFi for anything. Just the uh, amount of exploits that have happened and the amount of uh, you know different single points of failure. And I, I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if. Uh, you know, the SEC at some point stepped in and said, you know what, you're doing banking services without a license or something and like shut one of shut a bunch of these coins down. Like there's there's just so many risks and it seems completely unnecessary, um, especially given that like Bitcoin's going up so quickly. Why why would you like risk it so you can get like five percent more yield? You're getting like 150, 200 percent. You're you're really going to like risk it all over an extra five percent. Just seems ridiculous to me. Well, I'm just going to steer the subject back to Bitcoin because Travis changed the subject on me. We're having dueling interviews here, two interviews at one time. <laughs> so I think you know. For I'll just speak for myself because I have these questions around what the government might do, and of course, you know, you don't have a crystal ball to be able to say for sure, but. Are we so far down the line with Bitcoin due to financial institutions and big, you know, uh, companies putting billions into Bitcoin now that it really has become near impossible for the U.S. government to, you know, rein Bitcoin in? Or do you think it's still possible that they could totally upset the apple cart and drop the hammer? Yeah, I mean, they'll they'll certainly try whether or not they'll be successful is uh, is unknown. That's sort of like the fog of war or whatever. We, we, we have no idea. Um, I, I suspect that they'll try to do something like 2x. Um, you know, a lot of these investment banks and so on, they're 
they're used to sort of playing a lot of these financial shenanigan games. So say one of them created an ETF and uh, started selling more shares than they had Bitcoin to back with. Um, at some point that might happen. And, you know, if there are enough redemptions, the government might pass a law saying, you know, you have to take these uh, as normal Bitcoin or something like that um, and sort of introduce inflation or subvert Bitcoin that way. But an outright ban, probably not. But some some attack like that, uh, which is kind of reminiscent of 2x, but probably at a much larger scale, um, I, I think is inevitable some 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 government will try that or do something or some investment bank will try that or do something this this was the case with gold so i don't uh think it will be any different with bitcoin given and that what does that then do money. you know initially i see a market responding fearfully mm -hmm. right because the mm -hmm. news goes out and bitcoin is this big sell-off but then you would think it would you know buoy it up to mm -hmm. rise to even higher heights yeah, I'm not sure how the market would respond. It really depends on like sort of the macroeconomic factors that happen to be at that moment. Um, you know, if there's a tremendous amount of asset inflation at the same time, it might even go up. Um, I mean, who, who knows exactly what will happen? Um, you know, there right now there's a lot of um, corporations and such that are you know kind of waiting for dips, and they they buy them up, and you could kind of see it in the last week where. Um, I, I'm sure a lot of the buying was from corporations that were putting it on their balance sheets or whatever. Um, and, you know, like price and news, um, the, you know, there, there's probably a link, but it's probably more tenuous than you would think. And I, like back in 2013, I still remember um, there was the announcement that uh, Ross Ulbricht had, had been arrested as the Dread Pirate Roberts. And, uh, you know, like it went down quickly and then it recovered like crazy. And uh, over the next six weeks, it went from one hundred dollars to eleven hundred. And that that was uh, um, that was a sort of seminal moment. We everything that we thought would be terrible news for Bitcoin, which is the dark net markets going down, um, actually turned out to be really good for Bitcoin. So it's it's hard to predict. All right. So as, you, as we discussed at the beginning of the show, you uh, found out that you are an NFT. <laughs> and uh, reading, reading jimmysong.substack.com uh, here, your last post, I believe it was yesterday or two days ago, you shit all over NFTs. That's you don't, right. You don't like NFTs. That's right. Getting paid is nice for the artist, but it comes at the cost of the artist having to embrace an entire scammy ecosystem. Hmm. And uh, so, so tell us more about NFTs and why you think they are not good. Yeah, I, I mean, I the argument is almost always framed as okay. Well, artists can finally get paid or something like that, and you know, I I, I get that artists have been abused in many different ways, uh, and uh, you know, they they have a hard time uh, making money, and there's way more supply than demand generally for any form of art. So I, I get that there's a problem, right? Like that they're not getting paid and that oftentimes they're abused by, you know, Spotify or, uh, you know, whatever platform uh, into like uh, making those platforms capture the value instead of the artists and so on. And, the, and like the argument for NFTs has always been, oh, okay, well, now, now the artists can get paid or whatever. Um, and I'm just pointing out in that article that, yeah, they, they might be getting paid and that that may very well be true. And it solves that particular problem, but it comes at the cost of the artist. Um, essentially, what they end up doing is they end up defending the platform that they're on to death. It doesn't matter if uh, if there are flaws or whatever. They become sort of uh, clear defenders of, uh, of of the platform that they happen to be on. And this is the same dynamic that happened with ICOs. If you released an ICO on Ethereum, you defended Ethereum to death. It uh, doesn't matter what, what arguments were against Ethereum it, because your salary depended on or your, your wealth depended on Ethereum, uh, your ICO being on Ethereum or whatever, you defended it to death. And, um, you know, I liken that to selling your soul. And for an artist especially, I mean, this this is exactly what it means to sell out. It's uh, you're getting paid uh, some amount of money from uh, you know a bunch of people that printed their own money, uh, and that that is how you are making money. 
Well, I mean, does your art really say anything anymore? Especially a lot of these artists that are supposedly like representing Bitcoin and against central banks and all of the money printing that's going on. And their art is supposed to represent how, um, you know, the, this movement of Bitcoin and, uh, you know, being self-sovereign and so on. Well, you, you just, you know, the, the tweet I put out a few days ago is, you take the king's coin, you become the king's man. That's essentially what they're doing. Their their king now is Ethereum, and they'll defend it to death. And like I, I can see it in like a, a lot of the Twitter responses and like clubhouse rooms that I've been in. Uh, the artists that are on Ethereum that are doing this with NFTs and so on, they will defend it to death, and they'll they'll reframe it as oh, you know, how how are we supposed to get paid or otherwise, and and so on. Uh, but ultimately, what, what I see is artists losing their soul and their art not meaning much anymore because it's become a rich plaything for a lot of Ethereum cantillionaires. And cantillionaire, by the way, is a term uh, from Richard Cantillon's uh, Cantillon effect, which is that the first, uh, uh, you know, accumulators, uh, the first people with access to newly printed money get all of the benefits. Uh, clearly, there was one for Ethereum. The people that got in with the pre-mine and so on, they're, they're the ones that have the Ethereum to buy this stuff. So they become sort of um, the, the servants of, uh, of Ethereum. And for me, that's, uh, that, that's a terrible trade. Um, I, I, don't, I mean, they might be making money. Great. That, um, so do the you know, modern artists that sells at Christie's or whatever. But don't tell me now that you, you have this awesome message or you're giving voice to the downtrodden or something like that, which a lot of artists purport to do if you're if you're going to go and sell yourself to uh, Ethereum and their and the people there. Well, you know, so Ethereum is certainly not our um, chain of choice for NFTs. We think the gas fees are ridiculous and, and we use wax for the majority of what we do because it's fast and we don't have the gas fees. But and we will defend wax to our death, Jimmy. Yeah, we actually, we won't. Um, we won't. Actually. We, we won't. But so the, the way that, um, you know, it's framed there with giving voice to the artist, that's not, you know, that is certainly a value. But you know, we look at creating NFTs as a new delivery mechanism of collectibles. You know, we've created blockchain heroes and, and people can buy these packs of cards and ex have this entertaining experience to collect these items. And clearly they're getting value in it. Um, who's to say that that's a, a good or a bad thing, except the person who is, you know, investing in that. Yeah, I, I mean, at least there's some sort of you. I, I think the way you guys use it is more as like digital rights management, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're um, you're saying, OK, well, the and maybe you you hook it up to something else or whatever. Um, and I, I mean, fair enough. You, you might you might use that as a very inefficient database uh, that you could centrally control, but maybe you don't have the skills to do it. Fine. That that that's fine. The NFTs that I'm talking about are like the one that uh, is uh, is for auction at Christie's right now, which is, uh, you know, going for three million dollars or something mm -hmm. for one large. Is JPEG. that the Beeple piece? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. it's it's basically like uh, you know the the artist is basically saying this token represents this art because I say so, right? Like, um, and the word fiat in Latin means let it be done, right? Like this is literally a fiat token. It's only there and exists because the artist says so, right? It is based on their uh, their association and they could take it back at any time. If they decide, okay, you know what? I'm going to go to Cardano or Binance chain or something else and I'm I'm going to issue the same thing, and uh, and you know uh, the whoever owns the current one, screw you, because I don't like Ethereum anymore. They can do that. I'm not saying they will, but it is perfectly within their uh, right to do so because it is done by convention. And this is this is kind of the problem: is that all all of these things are centralized, but they're playing decentralized theater. Um, if you wanted to do something like that, you could you could say, OK, well, this signature represents this art as well. And you could do it with PGP without a blockchain at all. And you could keep a database on the artist's website and say, hey, you know what, like uh, you want to trade it. OK, I'm going to take a fee and then um, I'll sign a new signature. Now it'll be clear who owns who owns this piece uh, piece now or whatever. And it'd be 
uh, and the artists would capture more of the value instead of, you know, a hundred bucks going to Ethereum miners or whatever and gas fees. So ultimately, um, you know, it, it seems uh, it, it, it's, it seems inefficient. It seems like very cent- something very centralized. It doesn't really add anything. Um, and it's uh, it's uh, all, uh, the vast majority of it seems to be a way to buy artists and get them to support Ethereum or whatever blockchain the NFT happens to be on. But I mean, your, yours is obviously a little bit, bit different, but that's what yeah. I was speaking to because that's what's hot right now. I would say that Ethereum over time is not going to be the optimal platform for NFTs because of those gas fees and because of some of those things that you mentioned. And I think that some of these other blockchains will maybe pop out on that, uh, you know, and be a better solution for that. But, you know, one of the things that, 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 that we see, well, for blockchain heroes is it's, it's all about teaching people about blockchain. It's about having a fun experience. And as Joel mentioned, creating a delightful thing. That's one thing that we've seen is that, when people are opening up these packs, man, it delivers them so much delight. They because you don't know what you're going to get, right? You're like, oh man, I don't, what what are you going to get in the pack? Because you don't know if you open up a baseball card pack in real life or open it up in one of our mechanisms, you just don't know. And I think that that's part of the part of the fun of it. And this is really sort of fun and educational. And there's a lot of value, I think, in the artist creating art and and finding new avenues. Like imagine musicians, you know, like we, there's some really interesting musicians that are that are doing some stuff. Uh, you know, it's like, I collect this, you can merge these together. Now you got the music video, you're able to create fun mechanisms along the way to engage your fans. And it's really, I think NFTs, the, the core part of NFTs, aside from the Ethereum argument, is creators and their audience or their community connecting in a new, unique way. And I, people people seem to be having delight along the way with that. Yeah, I mean, to me though, the the big thing that it's it's doing is just adding a lot of speculative, um, uh, you know, assets that are really not scarce at all. And and basically, they're they're just creating them. And there there's a there's a huge bubble right now of people that are. You know, buying and trading stuff that doesn't make any sense, and uh, and and they're not doing it because they appreciate the art. They're doing it because, you know, they they think it might go up in value and so on. Um, which is honestly what a lot of modern art is as well. It's it, it, what's it's, the uh, difference? I mean, yeah. if I'm an artist and I make a, a piece and I say, all right, I made a piece, and Christie's goes and auctions it, and then I go, you know what, that sold so well, I'm gonna make another one of the same thing. Right. How is that any different than somebody making something on one chain and then going? Well, I mean, this is this is all sort of like the fiat disease is that uh, art has become instead of something uh, that's uh, that gives voice to, um, you know, some feelings that you might have inside or thoughts that you have that you couldn't really verbalize. But this piece of art's just sort of like. Um, does that for you? It, it's become sort of this weird mix of uh, store of value and like, okay, what can get the most attention? Because that it, it, it's it's what I would call fiat disease. It's um, because the dollar doesn't store value very well. Um, you know, other as uh, other assets uh, necessarily take up that slack, and art, modern art, is honestly one of them. And uh, and what happens is uh, because. Uh, you know, they store value. It, it it can accrue value to the artists, but only if you market enough that and get famous enough that you are um, chosen by Christie's. It's it's extreme. Like if you've read the, what was it? I think it's called like the eight million dollar shark or something like that. And it's it, it's it's the story of this modern art piece where they basically stuffed this giant shark. And it sold for eight million dollars, and it, it just goes through the story of like uh, you know what what the modern art world is like, and all, all of the stuff that goes into mm-hmm. it. It is extremely difficult to get chosen by Christie's, and uh, and what what you find out uh, in that book is that most of those artists are not even very good at like making art. It's all like kind of conceptual. They uh, they hire like thirty art students right out of art school and have them make everything for them, and they, they just go, okay, make it like this, 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 and this, and then you you do all of the work. It, it, and what they're very good at, um, kind of like um, 
you know, a, a lot of the modern artists is they're, they're very good at marketing themselves and making, making it clear to other people. Okay. I'm, I'm somebody, I'm doing something interesting, or I have interesting quotes that, you know, people quote or whatever. Um, and, and that's ultimately what gets them into Christie's or these, uh, art shows or whatever. Um, and that, that's part of the fiat disease is that, is that, because there is this, um, you know, store of value premium on art, what, what you get are a lot of rent seekers. And uh, honestly, a lot of these artists are rent seekers off of uh, fiat money. Um, and you're kind of seeing that in uh, Ethereum and other blockchains. Uh, like what you were saying before is that technically there, there's probably a lot better platforms, but the artists don't go there, do they? The reason yeah. is because, well, I, I don't think they will. Uh, and here, here's the reason why, because... All the buyers are on Ethereum. They have the money, right? It's it, it has the market cap. It has it has more cantillionaires, so they can go and pay for it. If you if you go on another chain, and uh, and you don't have that that those kinds of buyers, well, your piece just isn't going to sell for as much. You can't rent seek as much from a smaller cap market cap chain, and that that that's the key. Is that there. They're more about marketing and like the gas fees, all of the crap that they have to deal with on Ethereum. Those are just marketing costs. What what ultimately they want is is the money, and they they they're essentially becoming rent seekers of Ethereum. So, I all that is is very similar to what's going on in the fiat world, and it's kind of sad to see uh, because I, I really do respect a lot of artists that do sort of give voice to something like to what, what is essentially a revolutionary movement in money. Uh, but, but instead they're kind of selling out and I, I don't, I don't like for me, they're dead, right? Like I, I they're dead to me. I don't, I don't want to hear, hear from them anymore. I don't want to hear about, you know, how, how you're giving uh, your, your uh, part of this movement of, uh, decentralized sound money and all that um, uh, because you've taken the king's coin. I, I don't want to hear it. Um, and, you know, for me, the the important thing is that we can be self-sovereign with Bitcoin and all of these people that are taking taking this stuff, they're 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 not. Yeah, I mean, they, they don't represent uh, what I think uh, is important. Instead, they become rent seekers. Mm. I would say this: You're pretty good at marketing yourself too, sir, Mister <laughs> Jimmy Jimmy Song, <clears throat> with your cowboy hat on and your and, and you're shitting on things. Um, so, so I want to one of the things I just want to throw this out there because that I think is really cool for for artists and especially with with building it in to smart contracts. Like, say for example, Top sold a baseball card recently, a Mickey Mantle rookie baseball card from 1952, pretty rare for 5.2 million dollars. Wow. Somebody, a collector sold it. Tops didn't sell it. Mm -hmm. They didn't make anything on that. Mm -hmm. But with smart contracts, if something gets sell, sold and sold again on that secondary market with that smart contract, those artists are able to get a percentage of that. And so I think that's that's probably a, a pretty valuable I, thing. That, for, that seems to me like a form of run seeking, right? I'm, I'm going to tax this forever anytime you sell it. Uh, I like great. I guess it makes income. the artist some money, but I mean, like, how, like yeah. that. That means that essentially well, you sell a Picasso and then the Picasso doesn't make anything. Well, if well, no, but but in a sense, it, that, that it, it's sort of like infringing on the person's property, right? Like, did I actually do I actually own this art piece or does no, 10 percent of, of it because the yeah, yeah, the 10 percent always belongs to the artist. I mean, I, I guess that's a, sort of an innovation. But to me, it's it, yeah, it's like. True. For me, as a buyer, then it's like, okay, I don't actually really own this thing, and in fact, the yeah. artist can, uh, you know, tax me whenever I sell it. That I, I don't, I don't see that as a virtue at all. It's, it, it does solve one problem: the artist is gonna get paid every time it, I th this thing transacts. But mm -hmm. in a, in a sense, it, it's doing it at the cost of the property rights of the person that's actually buying it, which. I mean, they might be fine with great, but you know, I mean, I, for me, it, it it makes it much less, uh, you know, desirable. If I if I buy a house and every time I sold it, I had to pay twenty percent to the original builder. I mean, I I don't think I would want to buy that house, or I would have to buy it at a discount in order to make up for that. So, it just makes it it, it seems like a very um, rent seeky kind of uh, mechanism, and I I, I don't. I mean, 
this is uh, this is kind of what happens when you can print your own money. Is that rent seekers pray our rent, Jimmy Song? <laughs> you have some interesting <laughs> thoughts going on in your thinker, Jimmy. Uh, I'm wondering. So, how I can't make NFTs on Bitcoin, right? Um, there are ways, but I would discourage right. I it. <laughs> yeah, I can't. So, you know, let, let's put aside for a moment um, Ethereum and the ridiculous gas fees and the craze around it. You know, we, we again, we use WAX. We're actually on the WAX Advisory Council, but we weren't when we started doing what we're doing. We did what we did because we liked how their chain worked and we saw a mechanism for being able to deliver what we wanted to deliver. Then they asked mm-hmm. us after seeing our success I'm on the and zero gas fees. We like yeah, that. We like being asked and we're not getting paid anything by them at all. So uh, thanks, William Quigley. Come on. Uh, so <clears throat> knowing that this is providing entertainment, that there's no gas fees, that it's an instant transaction. Is it NFTs completely that you're, you're crapping on or is it Ethereum in the culture well, I- that's around that? I, I almost feel like you're like, am I your priest or something? I I'm think asking, you guys are no. asking for absolution for your point or something. <laughs> no, no. I, 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 I don't want to be that person, right? I'm like, I, I don't want to be the person that says, okay, you're okay because time of this, this, time and this. Time out. It's because you're framing NFTs <laughs> as something for artists in Ethereum. You keep mentioning that. So I'm, yeah, okay. I'm just curious. I, mean, I, I, don't, I don't know the details of what you guys have done. So it's hard for me to judge that. And I, I and honestly, I shouldn't be the judge, right? Like, well, if, I'm not asking you to judge. Me, I'm asking you have thoughts that you're thinking, you're saying things, and uh-huh. I'm and I'm I'm challenging those yeah. things because I'm like, well, that doesn't apply to every NFT that's being created. Yeah, I, fair enough, fair enough. I, I was sp- speaking specifically to artists that are saying, okay, this is the digital representation of this digital thing that I made, and therefore, you know, it, it's worth something. Um, that was the specific thing that I was talking about in the newsletter that I wrote. And that's the thing that is, quote unquote, hot right now among uh, among the, you know, in the industry right now, because a lot of uh, artists are going and selling, you know, a JPEG that they made or something um, and put making an NFT on Ethereum. Like it doesn't have to be on Ethereum. It's, it's, it's just this concept of artists saying, OK, this this belongs to this. I mean, I'm, I, I don't know how your stuff is different and I don't, I don't really know uh, the details of your project. So I'm not going to say that they're equivalent. I'm just saying the NFTs that I'm seeing on the market right now with the artists and doing all this, they're the ones selling out. I'm not saying you guys are selling out because I don't know your project. Oh, and we are. We def- like the we're same definitely thing. selling yeah. out. We're creating a product <laughs> and we're selling it. Uh, and listen, yeah, we sold out about 35 seconds. Yeah, if actually. you want to be a priest, you're going to have to remove <laughs> the cowboy hat and get a collar or something. You know, for absolution. I just I don't want you to become the Peter Schiff of NFTs, uh, you know, because yeah. the guy is so wrong about Bitcoin. Um, and, and, you know, he knows precious metals, but he, the rest of us in the industry look at him and go, dude, you're knucking futz. You are totally off your rocker about this Bitcoin thing. And I don't want Jimmy song to be the dude that's completely missed how there's value to this. Well, I, I think I've studied this industry pretty well. And I was right about ICOs from 2017, I think. So, um, I, I, I stand behind my statement, um, like, Maybe there's some something, and if five years from now there are still NFTs that are providing value in some way to people, then I'll reconsider. But you know, we we have the luxury of time here. We don't have to declare right now. Okay, this this is, uh, you know, all, all the, your your stuff is fine because X, Y, and Z. Um, you know, I you can wait for the market, and if there's a and this this is this is the same thing I tell DeFi people. If there is something that actually works. And provides value and exists five years from now, and not just based on speculative mania or whatever. Then we'll we'll know. Time will tell. And, and I that, will that be time priest. is the ultimate thing. I will be your priest at that time. You can come <laughs> do penance and uh, mm-hmm. you know gesticulate and, and all that good stuff. <laughs> so I, I have a question for you because you talk about taking the king's coin mm. and and bowing down to the king. So I want to I want to ask your opinion on this because I don't know that we ask it the first time. Mm. So it's well documented that DARPA created the internet, right? Mm. DARPA also sponsored the creation of the dark net with Tor. 
They also did a ton of research. They actually created SHA, uh, the encryption. And they wrote a paper, the NSA wrote a paper in 1996 about creating a cryptocurrency. And so my thought is it's a strong chance that the NSA and the government created Bitcoin. And you're out here every day talking about Bitcoin as the be-all, end-all decentralized. How sure are you that it is completely decentralized? How sure are you that the government didn't actually create Bitcoin? And here we all are talking about this thing that potentially the government created. Well, I, I don't think the government created it. And I don't think there's very much evidence of that uh, I, as far as I, I've researched. Uh, even even if they did, it's currently in the hands of the community. And uh, unless there's a backdoor that they coded in there that we haven't been able to detect for 12 years, I, I really doubt that that's, uh, that's an issue in any way, shape or form. Um, so, you know, the... Bitcoin is uh, decentralized because I have self-sovereignty over my coins. Uh, a lot of other coins mm -hmm. have central points of failure. Ways in which your token can be taken away uh, by some central party or creator or wh whoever is in charge, in which case it's not really different than fiat money in the Federal Reserve. So um, Bitcoin is very different and it's a different animal. And I, I really hate the conflation between Bitcoin and altcoins because it's it's really not the same. You you have a bunch of creators or whatever that that made the coins. You have, you have pre-mines and all kinds of things that are very shady. Um, and Bitcoin gets lumped in together with all of that. Um, and I don't think that's fair. I think uh, Bitcoin is very different. It's uh, it's decentralized. And, you know, I, I don't really have concerns that the government controls it or anything. And in fact, that'd be... I'm not necessarily no controlling it, but I think that, you know, maybe it was created to kind of get us familiar with crypto to make us like crypto. And, and then they start bringing in their central bank digital currencies, which looks like is coming on soon. How, so then if they start talking about, well, we're going to ban Bitcoin because it's decentralized, but here instead use our USD shitcoin. Yeah, I mean, they, they might do that, but I, I don't think it's really uh, going to stop Bitcoin, honestly. Um, I mean, you could try. You can certainly try. But um, and uh, China has and many others have. But that doesn't mean that you're going to be successful. So, I mean, maybe there's some technology in Bitcoin that was originated by the government, but I, I, that doesn't bother me. I, I've looked at the crypto. It's actually pretty solid. So, I mean. Hmm like based on that it's like okay well it's tainted because you know uh, like nist uh you know chose sha 256 among like six competing ones you know based on objective criteria and but you know like it's suspect because they're part of the government or something i i don't think so mm -hmm. i i mean like they're, they're cryptographers that have looked at it uh saw the six competing ones and all were pretty much in agreement that the choices that they made and the reasoning that they gave was pretty sound um yeah i mean just just because somebody touched it doesn't mean that it's uh, automatically infected and that they can go do something nefarious with it uh I, the, the criteria that they chose were pretty solid mm. Something interesting to think Assuming about. that badass hat of yours is not a financial advisor hat, what kind of targets are you personally looking at for Bitcoin, let's say end of year and you know, maybe next year, not too long term? Uh 250-ish, I think, is uh is the estimate I would give. Um, but yeah, I mean it, it's uh, who knows, right? Like it, it, it's all it's all sort of like uh, like dependent on a lot of different factors, including the macro environment. If uh, if Joe Biden, you know, passes, you know, signs a bill, you know, printing another five trillion dollars, that'll obviously have an impact on all, all of this stuff. If instead he decides to go to war somewhere that might, you know, also impact things like it's hard to say because the macro environment is so um, up uh, in flux right now. Um, but I, I do believe that Bitcoin will be higher than where it is now for certain. Um, but we'll we'll see. I might even be wrong on that. Did you did you mean to say Zhao Biden? Was the, the... <laughs> President Zhao Biden? Uh, <laughs> hey, so so you wrote a book recently. You got a new book mm -hmm. out, right? And chill uh, away, my brother. We want to hear about it. What's going on with the new Jimmy song? Let's get all yeah, yeah. with your book. 
All right. So it's called uh, pay rent to Jimmy Saw right now. (laughs) (laughs) It's called Thank God for Bitcoin. And it makes the moral argument for Bitcoin from a Christian perspective. And a lot of what we talked about with uh, rent seeking and sort of the bad incentives that come from fiat money, it's covered in the book. Um, The first seven chapters just describe uh, how broken and uh, how much of a cesspool of theft the current system is. And we don't really even mention Bitcoin until chapter eight. Um, and then, you know, expound on it in chapter nine. But the idea is that it's a moral argument for Bitcoin, why it is way better than the current system, why the current system is lots of theft, lots of uh, iniquity, a lot of uh, a lot of people doing uh, some nefarious things uh, to better themselves and how it affects our politics, our personal lives, even the church. Um, and ultimately, it, uh, you know, Bitcoin can fix a lot of those things. So I'm looking at the book cover. Thank God for Bitcoin, the creation, corruption, and redemption of money. You've got my attention here with the the, the spiritual connection. Talk a little mm. bit more about that. Yeah. So money is really at, at heart a spiritual thing. Uh, and that that's sort of the first sentence in the preface. Money is deeply spiritual because relationships are are. are uh, are spiritual and our relationships to a large degree are defined by money, like, you know, like father, son, uh, man and wife, or uh, even, even strangers. When you, when you trade, um, money is a big component of it. And money um, is a big part of uh, civilization. It's what allows us to have division of labor. It's, uh, it's what builds civilization effectively uh, because it, it gives uh, signals to each person to know where it is that they can most add value to other people by the goods and services that they are able to produce. Uh, But when money is corrupted, as it has been with fiat money, all of those things kind of uh, are flipped upside down a little bit. Uh, There's a lot more rent-seeking jobs, uh, a lot more... um, a lot more places where uh, things are much more inefficient and uh, people that are taking from civilization and helping to tear it down instead of building it up. Um, so we, we talk a lot about the history of money, what money is supposed to be, sort of like the theology of money, if you will. And, uh, you know, how, what, what it's supposed to be is, you know, the value you're providing, uh, like a promise of the value you've already provided others. It's, it's supposed to be a mechanism for saving. Um, instead, fiat money has turned it into uh, you know, a lot of debt, basically, uh, where you're bringing consumption forward and so on. Uh, so we talk about all of the moral consequences of that, including a lot of very high time preference behavior or you know, like impatience or um, you know, disregard for the future and so on. Um, you know, uh, like all, all of that, um, uh, all of those consequences we sort of lay out in the book, the hyper politicization, because there exists a money printer. That means that getting access to the money printer is very valuable, which means that everyone wants that. And, uh, you know, politics becomes this um, uh, huge game of a uh, huge consequential game because whoever controls it can do um, more or less whatever they want with the money. Uh, and, you know, it, it affects us in uh, subtle ways that, that are not easily recognizable. But among other things, it makes people a lot more materialistic. They, um, instead of thinking about the future, they think about what they can get now and how they can look now. It becomes more of a status game. Um, it, it's, uh, it, it changes um, how we relate to money. Um, so most people, uh, you know, people, companies, governments, they can all essentially get into debt and get what they want now instead of the traditional way, which was to save, 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 and then get the thing at the end. And any parent can tell you, that the latter is way better for character than the former. If you just give your kid candy now and get them to promise to, you know, put away the dishes for the next week, it's probably not going to work as well. Whereas if you do it the other way and say, okay, put, put away the dishes for a week and then you'll get the lollipop, you know, that, that actually builds character. The, the former will uh, more or less build resentment. And that's kind of what we have right now is, is a lot of people, companies, governments that, that are bitter and resentful as a result of the current system. So we present Bitcoin as a much more moral alternative 
and it's uh, it, it it it's a savings technology. It helps people, uh, and it's uh, it doesn't have a central party, so it's not easily confiscatable and mm -hmm. things like that, which uh, which ultimately lead to more self sovereignty, more personal responsibility, a better civilization overall. I have ordered a copy of Thank God for Bitcoin. I'm fascinated. It's coming from Amazon um, right before this episode comes out. So I'm looking forward to reading it. And thank God for uh, Jimmy Song, who uh, who craps all over altcoins, DeFi, and NFTs and wipes his butt with Bitcoin toilet paper. So <laughs> <laughs> nice. Thanks, man. Nice. We appreciate you coming on and, and bringing the controversy because these are the questions they, they need to be asked. And, and I appreciate that you're addressing them head on and that you're standing by uh, your beliefs. So uh, it's been three years. Maybe we won't wait so long to have you back again. That would be great. I would love to hang out and talk to you guys some more. Now we appreciate you, brother. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, sir, Lord Travis, I'm still having to spray some Lysol air freshener around here from the uh, the steaming pile that was left in the middle of the room. Uh, we love Jimmy. Like, I mean, we're just, you know, we're playing around and uh, we're really glad that he is passionate as he is. Uh, and I think he kind of, you know, he's like, well, I'm not necessarily talking about wax. It really came down to Ethereum, I think. And he's got a new book called Thank God for Jimmy. Yeah. Which, by the way, I ordered a copy of it. And I think it's waiting in my mailbox right now for me. I just was really fascinated. I want to see uh, what his take is here, especially as Bitcoin, um, you know, relates to spirituality. Yeah, I think that's an interesting thing. Uh, I, I actually have it on my Kindle. I've begun to read it. And as he mentioned, for the first few chapters, it doesn't even talk about crypto yet. So I think it's haven't even gotten into the crypto parts. Speaking of crypto, Sir Lord Joel Com, uh, I don't know if you knew this or not, but uh, the Bad Crypto Podcast has been hanging out in the top rankings of investing and in business on Apple. And we've acquired some, uh, some interesting, amazing sponsors as a result of that, I think. Ledger. You guys know this, the hardware wallet is now a sponsor of the show. And uh, if you do not have a hardware wallet, you need to get one. Ledger will make your crypto experience simpler. And uh, it can be hard to know what information is good and what is useless and what is not needed for the regular everyday crypto investor. There's so many wallets and exchanges and apps and platforms. It's really hard to know who to trust. And uh, Ledger comes in. And I, I know I have a Ledger. I use a Ledger. Uh, you can you can bring in Joel's holding up his ledger. There's so many different cryptos and blockchains that you can store on your ledger. And uh, that ledger app is nice. It enables you to securely and to truly own your crypto. You want to get it off those exchanges, folks. And you want to get it on a hardware wallet. So go to ledger.com and make sure you only go to ledger.com. Don't go to eBay and buy one. Don't go to Amazon and buy one. Why? Because it might not be a legitimate one. They might, they might have put some on there to try to take your crypto. There's been there's been things where people have gone and, and bought in a secondhand wallet and there's was something on there that pulled their cryptos off. So don't do that. Go to ledger.com and enhance and secure your crypto journey right now. Jimmy. Get a legit ledger. Get a Heath ledger. It's, you suppose somebody's named their ledger Heath? I don't know. Probably I don't so. Know. That, that would be weird. Uh, hey, everybody. Not only is bad crypto moving up the charts, but the Nifty Show also the audience has tripled in the last month, tripled. I tell you, the show is live every Friday on YouTube and Theta at nifty.show forward slash YouTube and nifty.show forward slash Theta. We are getting some incredible guests. We had four guests on this last Friday show, including Whale Shark, the, the dude that's got this multi-million dollar portfolio of incredible blockchain art. And if you haven't listened to that one, you can either go to the replay on the Bad Crypto channel on YouTube, or you can just go listen and uh, your earballs can tune into it on iTunes or Stitcher Radio and other places that your ears are used to listening to shows. Mm -hmm. I haven't even looked at Spotify. I wonder if uh, if you type in NFTs on Spotify, what pops up on that? I'm going to type it right now. Well, while Travis does that, I want to say thank you for listening. We appreciate you guys. The community continues to grow. We're here for you. We love doing the show. We're in our fourth year now of doing this. And uh, this summer 
is going to be four years, and we're really close to episode 500. Unfortunately, typically for the centennial shows, we welcome John McAfee to the show, but I don't think he's going to make it for 500. He's in trouble. He is in trouble. He, well, you, you posted a link. He's getting charged for something, yeah? Yeah, the, the U.S. government is coming after him big time now. And uh, we'll talk about more uh, around John McAfee and the latest news on our show, which is our bad news episode on Thursday. We'll catch you guys then. Sir Lord Travis Wright, what a pleasure working with you, my friend. Well, thank you so much, Jimmy. It's been a pleasure working with you too, Jimmy. Jimmy. Jimmy, Jimmy, Joel. Dude, can you, yeah, that's crazy. Uh, four years in July, that's like longer than most relationships. <laughs> All right. Well, we've, we've been on the verge of breakup before. That was mostly during the virtual blockchain week when we decided to put on a conference and do it all within 30 days from idea to launch. Right. That was silly. I couldn't stand the sound of your voice or, or, the, look, <laughs> or the look of your face. I'm like, oh, my God, get me out of here. <laughs> hey, well, luckily, we haven't seen each other in real life that often. And we'd probably be less often if we uh, didn't do video chatting every week. So we'd probably not see your face. You'd probably miss me then. Always looking at each other. All right, gang. Stay bad. Who's bad? The Bad Crypto Podcast is a production of Bad Crypto LLC. The content of the show, the videos, and the website is provided for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. It's not intended to be and does not constitute financial, investment, or trading advice of any kind. You shouldn't make any decisions as to finances, investing, trading, or anything else based on this information without undertaking independent due diligence and consultation with a professional financial advisor. Please understand that the trading of Bitcoin's and alternative cryptocurrencies have potential risks involved. Anyone wishing to invest in any of the currencies or tokens mentioned on this podcast should first seek their own independent professional financial advisor.